All right. Hey. What's up, guys? We are back again. <laughs> Guess who's Two. back? Back, back again. again. <laughs> Jazzy's back. Ellis back. <laughs> Time to go to bed. Yeah, man, almost. <laughs> almost. It hits nine o'clock and it's like, I got like one and a half hours <laughs> to stay up and get my shit done. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So, uh, full disclosure. We're recording this right after the previous one because we are working adults. Yeah. And uh, when we had to overlap our schedules, we're like, hey, you got that one Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I am extra tired. But I have a lot of faith that we're going to do a great show. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully we stay sane. Stay awake. Yes. We're about to talk about some heavy ass material. Yeah, so we saved it for like not the first introductory episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, we haven't recorded a couple of years. We want to talk about some hardcore real shit. <laughs> Fun times. Yeah, so, well, now that's over and now it's time for the, the real shit. Yeah. Well, the first one was real shit. It was, it was real shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, right. So, we got some funny stories. All right, so uh, the topic of today, of this one, is race. Right. And uh, <laughs> since we recorded it right after the last one, we were like, wait, we wanted to tell stories from the last week. But I was like, eh, we have like three years to pull stories from. Yeah, we have a lot of fucking stories for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of race. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what's your funny racism story? <laughs> we don't have to keep saying race over and over again. Race, race, race. So, uh... <laughs> in that general vein. Um, so I like to play a game, uh, which I think started with uh, our friend Lauren, where it's called, what would the movie, the Lifetime movie about your life be called? <laughs> and so every once in a while, I like to uh, update my Lifetime movie. So a couple years ago, I was eating with Jose. We were about to go to a party at his uh, aunt's house. And I was like, what would your Lifetime movie be called? So mine would be called Not Just a Weta, the Elizabeth Sturgeon story. Back then, I wasn't married. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this whole idea about what this Lifetime movie was going to be about under the title Not Just a Weta, uh, which means white girl. Just in case <laughs> someone who's listening to this and they just do like, what the fuck? It's, it's like the <laughs> nice version of white. Okay, because it doesn't just mean white girl. It could just mean like blonde girl or like light skinned girl. Right. It, it's much nicer than like gringa. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It could be worse. Yeah. It could be worse. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, yeah, in the story, like maybe Jose's like in a coma, and because it's a lifetime movie, so it has to be really dramatic. And uh, you know, his mom gets mad at me, and she's like, "It's your fault. You're the weta." And I'm like, and I like run away. And then he wakes up from his coma, and he's like, "Where's Elizabeth?" She's like, "You don't need her." And then I get in a coma, and, but I die. <laughs> oh, my God. And at my funeral, his family gets up and is like, she wasn't just a weta, she was family. <laughs> and that was, you know, okay, but let's be fair. His family is amazing. I'm painting them in a bad light in this Lifetime movie. But they're actually, the, like, some of the best people I've ever met. Yeah, and they're pretty fucking legit. I can vouch <laughs> for that. So we, yep. so we go to this party. And um, I had this tactic where back then I didn't know how to drive. I know how to drive now. I'm an adult. And (laughs) I didn't want Jose to get super drunk because then we wouldn't make it home that night. So my tactic to make sure he doesn't get too drunk is that I get drunk. So every time somebody came around with tequila, I was like, give it to me. And so I'm like nine okay, shots in. First of all, I use that tactic also. Which is great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it well, works. It's not, it's not just so Chris doesn't get drunk. It's also so I don't have to be the one to stay sober. Exactly. Because I'm more of a lightweight than he is. So I just get fucking wasted. And then he's like, here we go again. Yep. With Jasmine drinking too much. I think he might think I have a problem. I should probably stop doing that. Maybe. I'll keep doing it. Yeah, fuck your introspection. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a lightweight. It usually doesn't take more than two shots for me to be, like, drunk. I'm, like, nine shots in. (laughs) Jose wasn't drinking, so it was great. 
one of his aunts comes over to me and is like, come Elizabeth dance. And I was like, Oh no, I can't. Like I'm, I was like, I'm too wet out to do it. And his aunt goes, Oh no, you're not just a wet And I'm screaming in her face, truly white girl wasted. <laughs> like, Oh my God, you don't know what I said earlier. That's so funny. But actually she didn't say like, you're not just a wetter. You family. she was like, you're like half Mexican. <laughs> that was how she finished it. And then when I started screaming, she like backed away slowly. So As anyone else would have. Right. <laughs> and that's my funny race story. <laughs> Well, I have a lot of funny race stories. Chris <laughs> loves to be racist in public. He thinks it's hilarious. Oh, my God. For example, I think this was last year. We were getting our phones. We are getting new phones. And um, we wanted to get the all-black iPhone, iPhone 6. Was it last year or year before? I don't give a fuck. Anyway, we were getting iPhone 6s, and we wanted the all-black ones, and they didn't have it. So we ended up getting uh, the gold. Um, he got gold. I got silver because Goldie, last name, and then... That's cute. I just took silver because I'm a punk. You know, I can ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so while they're getting our phones and shit together, we're sitting and talking about it. And the person that's like ringing us up is sitting right there. And then, um, oh, what happened? Oh, yeah, we were talking about how we preferred like the black face on the all black iPhone because <laughs> it looked just it looked really nice with the phone cases. And then um, Chris was like, yeah, you know what? I'm cool with the white face because, you know, White is right. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. A. Really? In front of the Best Buy employee, babe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Best Buy employees feeling bad for you. And they're like, ooh, all right. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> but I have another story that wasn't two years ago or whenever the iPhone 6 came out. <laughs> I don't know anymore. 1994. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-iPhone, oh. post-Kurt Cobain. <laughs> that, that's my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Two defining moments. There's iPhone and then Kurt Cobain at the other, on the opposite Two days end. the world stood still. <laughs> so, um, it was Christmas and, or around Christmas, and we're doing like a Sib gift exchange thing, but we changed into a beer exchange, which was really cool. That's adorable. It was a lot of fun. Um... <laughs> Chris and I... I wonder if he thinks I have a problem with alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> beer exchanges. Well, okay, was it just me? It was your idea. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was partially. It was partially my idea. I did not say no. <laughs> I didn't say, hey, I drink too much. Let's not do this. I said, let's do this. I love drinking. So... <laughs> do I have a problem? What was your bachelorette party again? brewery tour i didn't say it slowly for like emphasis on you i said it slowly because i can't say that word <laughs> brewery so your story right <laughs> so we're sitting around at the beer exchange thing and um chris's sister was giving out they were, she was giving out ornaments to put on to put on the trees and it was really cute it has like 2015 on it and Aww. it has like two little people for the couple and it has both of our names on it the problem was with Chris and I, my husband's white, okay? I think I already said that in another podcast. But anyway, just in case you forgot, my husband's white and his whole family's white. So we get the, um, the ornament, and it has two little white people on it instead of, oh like, God. a black person and a white person. And I'm like, oh, look, babe, I'm white for Christmas. <laughs> and his sister did not think that shit was funny. She was, like, <laughs> she was like, well, they didn't have a black person. I'm like, what the fuck was I going to do? <laughs> She looks super uncomfortable. Aww. And I thought it was the best thing ever. Chris was laughing. I would have painted it. Chris said he was going to do that. He said he was going to paint it and then put, instead of, because the eyes and mouth are black, he's like, well, we can't leave it black. We're painting you black, so we got to put, like, pink on there or something. Aww. I was like, you're so stupid. It's going to put white. Yeah. yeah. No? No, maybe. I don't know. Ebony. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. This is probably the 42nd thousandth time that I've tried to sing this song, and you're like, no. <laughs> Throughout the years of our friendship. Yeah, no. Averages no. to about 12 times a day. <laughs> you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 
a good idea to record two in one day. Uh, <laughs> okay. So those are our funny stories. Right. So just in case someone actually did listen to our last podcast <laughs> yes. a year, three years ago, since then there's been this um, resurgence of the pro-black movement and it's more about survival than anything. Right. And, but it's called the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, this is something that wasn't happen- happening three years ago, but it's super important now. Um, Liz, if you wanted to elaborate, which I... Well, I remember... Um, I remember the first... I remember the first night that it became uh, a national hashtag because I'd seen it used sporadically uh, when I was following the Ferguson story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember the night that it became national was when the decision was passed down that there wouldn't be an indictment. Right. And suddenly that became the, the go-to hashtag instead of hashtag Ferguson or hashtag hands up, don't shoot. Right. It was hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I thought that that was such a great one to pick up because it, it transcended that individual story and it unified the all of the different stories of police brutality and how it was disproportionately affecting black people yeah and black males also i mean uh, i want to say black males in, in particular because um it, it's in a higher rate as far as what i've seen and what i've heard right. i don't know statistically there is an additional hashtag for black women specifically the hashtag yeah. say her name yeah that's because right. um it was black women who started black lives matter the hashtag mm-hmm. on twitter um the black women activists on twitter are the ones who started that particular hashtag um and then it was kind of taken over to be mostly about black male victims right um and so I think when that got, when there was like so many uh, that it was the black male victims, there was the offshoot of say her name. So for like Sandra Bland. Right. Yeah. Just to make sure those stories got told as well. Exactly. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yep. It's late. <laughs> it is late. But we did want to, we did want to bring up uh, the, the bullshit fuckery of All Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. All <laughs> Lives Matter. And it's, I think that it's kind of been quelled a little bit now because most people have an understanding now that you don't have to... Saying Black Lives Matter doesn't mean saying that your life doesn't matter if you're not black. Right. It's saying that it's trying to bring something that was, uh, that was hidden to the forefront. And not saying that all lives don't matter, but it's saying, hey, let's look at this because this is a, this is a big issue right now. Right. You know, we can find on the forefront of all lives matter as far as like cancer research and, 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 <laughs> right. and AIDS. It's not like anything being fought on that front is irrelevant. But right now what's relevant is, is the Black Lives Matter movement. It's just, it's bringing to the forefront the inequality of all lives do matter, mm-hmm. but some aren't being treated that way. Yeah. And so, you know, I've seen some people say, like, oh, it should say Black Lives Matter too. And I'm like, well, you know, hopefully people have enough humanity to understand that that's the implication. Right. Plus, when you only have, like, 240 characters to work with, those extra three could have been emojis, so they're very important. <laughs> <laughs> no, they could have, you know, so you, when you're trying to get as much information across in a short amount of time... You know, you want shorter hashtags. Right. And so I guess the hope and it, what should be the reality is that enough people would see that and say, you you know what, you're right. Black lives do matter. They're not being treated as such. Instead of going, well, all lives matter or blue lives matter. Yeah. Oh, there's a big joke. God. Big joke. So that's what's been happening as far as the social injustice movement um, with black people (laughs) um i know we wanted to talk about um we wanted to talk about the beyonce super bowl thing and formation of course it's wonderful oh it's great and i when it came out i loved it and i know I, I, i talked about this with liz but um killer mike's um comment on the Bill Maher show about how, hey, the first part of her song isn't about white people. It's just like, it's, it's true. There yeah. was this big upset about her, just in case people are, have been living under the rock, <laughs> under the rocks of the Super Bowl. 
Um, she, she had a performance where she had her dancers um, dressed like Black Panthers, and she was singing about being black, you know? And everybody thought, like, why is race an issue? Why are we bringing race to the forefront of the Super Bowl? This is supposed to be entertainment. And it's like, you know what? I think, she, I, I think it's the perfect stage to do it. And she's Absolutely. talking about... She's talking about something that is important to all of us at this point, or should be important to all of us, you know? And she's also making a stand saying, hey, this is where I'm at, and I know that I'm black, you know, and, I, and, and I'm okay with that. And you should be okay with that, too. And the fact that no one, not no one, but, <laughs> but there's an outcry saying that she shouldn't have done that, it's like, fucking, let her, let her be, you know? Fucking Coldplay can go on stage and sing about world peace and had take their stand on stance on their political views. Mm-hmm. You know, Beyonce should be able to do the same thing. The only problem is that she was talking about being black. Right. You know. Here's my opinion on why people who are like the Super Bowl's the wrong place to do that because the Super Bowl should be about unifying is completely off base because even within the Super Bowl, race has an important uh, there's an important issue with it because, yeah. you know, it's, it's often a joke, but it's still a reality. People like that old Dave Chappelle joke where he was talking about going back to uh, talk at his high school. And he tells them if he's like, the best way you're going to get out is you're going to be in sports <laughs> or you're going to make white people laugh. Yeah. It's like, and, but I think that's why, you know, maybe people just weren't educated on how big of an issue that is because being an athlete is one of the top ways that we've seen upward mobility from people of color and lower socioeconomic classes. Yeah, absolutely. That's how they get the scholarships to be able to exactly go to school, you know? So people saying like, oh, race shouldn't be a thing in sports uh, aren't really paying attention. <laughs> think it's necessarily to do with sports I think it was because it was so public and so such a big audience they felt like that wasn't the place to do that because it wasn't something that the entire audience would adopt and I'm guessing Beyonce was like I don't give a fuck it's something they should adopt absolutely I'm like what that's really saying is not everybody's gonna care about you yeah so hashtag all lives matter Well, let's and let's, those same people who will say both of those things. Yeah, and that's I'm like, mm, are you really? Do you really think all lives matter? Or are you just uncomfortable when the the attention isn't on you? Right. <laughs> and I think that. But let's talk about the formation video and the song. Yes. Also. <sighs> so I think I think the video was great, and I think the song is very is. I don't want to say poignant <laughs> because it's not like a literary piece. <laughs> it's a Beyonce song. She's talking about haters being corny and shit. She's not, you know. It was it was so was, quintessentially southern. Yeah, and, and unabashedly southern. southern. And black. Yeah, and, and that's something that Beyonce hasn't been in a very long while, at least publicly in her music. Right. Um, I, I know thi- that um, Beyonce and Jay Z like behind the behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, they were paying their, how they were involved with Black Lives Matter is that they were paying um, to help get people who were jailed, for protesters that were jailed to help get them out. They were paying mm-hmm. um, their, come on brain, you know this word. Their bail. bail. They were playing their <laughs> bail. <laughs> so, you know, they, they have done a lot to um, be helpful to the black community but that's not covered nationally. Right. And then part of the song is just her telling people like, hey, just because I'm not doing everything and just because I'm not everything you want me to be doesn't mean I don't care about the issues. Absolutely. It doesn't mean I'm not black and it doesn't mean I don't care about black lives. You know, the beginning of it, she's talking about people saying she's from the Illuminati. And, <laughs> and well, yeah, and how, and how people make fun of her and, or, or, or attack her. But really, in the, so- the whole song, the whole thing about formation is saying, hey, you know what? You're talking shit about me. And you're getting together on that. How about you have that same formation on, on real issues? Yeah. You know? Uh, one other thing that I really liked was um, sampling and then using queer hip-hop artists. Right. Which... Um, that was probably the only part that touched me as a queer person. Be like, ah, look, <laughs> my mini representation. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was important because we don't see a lot. Most of the time when we see black queer representation, it's like an exaggeration or it's a comedy or right. something like that. And then like, 
it, these things, some of the time, most of the time, it's not funny. You know, they get attacked. Yeah. This yeah. is not, not to say that not all, it's not to say that other transgender races don't get attacked, but it's very unacceptable in the black community to be gay yeah. or transgender. Uh, I wish I had that statistic up with me right now, but um, just in general, being a transgender person of color, your, the life expectancy is like 30 years old. Yeah. Which is a huge discrepancy. <laughs> it's 50 extra years that are most likely to be taken from a person. Yeah. Which is a huge issue. And so I, I was very happy that, um, that that was included, that was referenced. It's because it's a very Southern black thing. Yeah. And a lot of queer hip hop artists are from the South. And so I was like, yeah, like that's... <laughs> It was a quintessentially Southern black song. I thought that was amazing. Like, yeah. on a, which, you know, it exists outside of Beyonce. <laughs> right. But Beyonce has a bigger stage. Exactly. And, you know, I know there were some people that, were, that, were, that weren't happy that she did this because they felt like she was glamorizing something that's bigger than, than Beyonce. You know, they felt like maybe she shouldn't make black lives marketable. You know, well, I mean, honestly, I, I, I thought about that. The first time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, I like the song and I like what she's saying. But this is this is going to be turned into something that she's going to sell. She's a she's a business person. That's you know, true. she's not she's not stupid. You know, she can sell this shit and she can make money off of it. And I and I understand where people are coming from. where They're like, I don't want something that I'm, I'm talking about because my brother died to be marketable for Beyonce. That's like, true. See hot sauce in my bag shirts, and she's. And I really want them to get the real message of it, you know. So, I get I get both sides of that coin. Where you're like, I'm glad we have some kind of representation that's not just, you know, CW black people. You know, yes. you can actually get <laughs> like, like what real black people do. But at the same time, where the the message in the video, we want that to be taken rather than hot sauce in my bag swag. Although one of my favorite um, things that came out of that was just uh, on Tumblr. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a phenomenon of like after a after like a big music video will come out, and white people don't get the references, so they have to ask. They, they know, seek what, it out what on was, Tumblr. What was this reference? Yeah, because <laughs> Tumblr's a you know I mean, people. It was it was like a Beyonce blog on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were like, what does hot sauce in my bag mean? Like thinking that it was like slang for something else. And the response was just, it means she has hot sauce in her purse. <laughs> yeah, you said Swag. that. <laughs> and I laughed for so long. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my fellow white people. Yeah. We're... It's not all cryptic. <laughs> Sometimes it's literal. Yeah. She's literally going to buy this dude some fucking red lobster. If you fucks, if are you good. fucks are good, <laughs> you're into the Red Lobster. <laughs> what's uh, what's next on our list? Oh, don't say list. I mean, what's a- I mean, what else is in our free form ideas? <laughs> we're gonna talk ABC Family free form. Liz gets into <laughs> Facebook arguments with people about race, <laughs> and it's the best thing ever because her clapbacks are so legit. They are just the best nerdy clapbacks ever. I mean. <laughs> No, they're great. You have you have developed them over time, and they're at their, their peak. I um okay. So as we've talked about a lot in the podcast, um, I'm a huge nerd, and mm-hmm. I've been on the internet since I was a wee little child, five, maybe. I'm I'm like a whole generation ahead, um, and so when I'm an adult and in school or underemployed, um. I find different venues online where I can fight with people. No. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Liz. (laughs) It doesn't always start off that way. There was, but you know, maybe four ish years ago, um, there's an app that I used a lot and it was just a period tracking app, but it had a very active forum. And so I made a lot of friends on there, but there was also a lot of fights that would happen and I sort of became known for having good clapbacks. Uh, <laughs> and for like the last year, I've barely been on Facebook because I would go on Facebook and within 30 seconds, I would see something that got me really annoyed. I'd be like, Ugh, I don't have time for this. And so I would just close off Facebook because, you know, when you get me started fighting, I don't stop. So, uh, but one morning <laughs> I had just woken up and I checked Facebook and I saw a Washington Post article 
uh, covering, there was a school, I think it was some, oh, I wish I had it, I wish I had it open right now. There's a school somewhere in the U.S. where for a Black History Month, um, like school-wide assembly, they had shown a video that used people running on a racetrack as a metaphor for systemic racism. And at the end of the video, it shows, I think it's like a, it's like a bus that says affirmative action across it. And so it picks up the uh, runners who were runners of color in this cartoon. <laughs> uh, to, so it was a pro-affirmative action video. Um, and white parents in that school were very upset about it. And they did not like the implication. They said, this is just a white guilt video. And so the school agreed to delete it mm -hmm. or to never have that shown again. And I'm really tired. It's early in the morning. So I just wrote a really quick comment. It was just like, this is, I was like, really like white people, we have been determining what racial divisions are for centuries. And then we want to pretend like this is widening <laughs> like that gap. It's like, I really think that my fellow white people are just afraid that when we become the statistical minority, we're going to be treated the way that we've been treating mm -hmm. people of color. And I ended up having to babysit that thread for three days. <laughs> <laughs> people did not like it. <laughs> well, no, that's not fair. A lot of people did like it. I, yeah. A lot of people did not. Yeah, it, you, it, reading the thread, you had more support than not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there were some stragglers out there that wanted to, you know, get at you. Yeah, but the, the very first comment that appeared was a death threat. Yeah. And that's not, that's, not, that's not an exaggeration where he's like, oh, I just want to, I'm going to punch you in the face, Liz. I hate you. No. like No, here's, I mean, I, I have it screen capped. Mm -hmm. I actually have a page on my Tumblr where I just post the best of uh, angry things people have said to me <laughs> on Facebook. And this guy says, trust me, I am not your fellow white person. If a race war was to break out now, I would put a bullet in your head just as fast as I would a black man's. Now, this is important because I know, I know a lot of friends that aren't people of color that try to say, well, racism isn't that big anymore, or there's not really racist anymore. Right. And then... There's this guy saying, you know what, if there was a race war that broke out, I'd put a, pull a bullet in your, put a bullet in your head. Just because she's speaking out about her own opinion. Yeah. And I think that, I think that this person is, I'm not saying that his, his view is correct, but I'm saying it's important that he made that comment because it shows that these people do exist. Absolutely. They're, these extremes do exist. And uh, later on in that thread, he, he just put one other comment on mine. Uh, somebody, which I... I didn't like this comment. Somebody else said, said, you should turn the gun on yourself. Yeah. Which I wasn't okay with because I don't think that we should be putting death threats back at him. Right. <laughs> but he said, nope, I got my sights set on Elizabeth. Yeah. And Oh, he said, and I can, uh, he said, and I have something accuracy from like 700 yards away. He was bragging about how well he can shoot. <laughs> right. I showed this to a friend and he goes, Typical man, even when he's threatening to kill you, he has to brag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed, but is it really funny? Um, <laughs> so that was, but that was how it started. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people say a lot of um, mean things to me on the internet. That might have been my first death threat. So that's a feather in my cap for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it probably won't be the last. Let's no, I doubt it. <laughs> and now that uh, Donald Trump is like rallying all of his racist troops, I think there's right. going to be more of those feathers to put in your cap. I mean, and this is something I said to you when we were talking about it on the phone. One of the best things about that is that racists are truly outing themselves. Right. Yeah. They, they, they don't want to hide anymore and we can see them for yeah. what they are and we can actually say, hey, look, it is real. This is happening. You, for, for a while, you're, you're, you made black people feel crazy because they're like, oh, there's no more racists. You're just saying that. You're just imagining it. No, it's not a fucking imagination. Right. These are people who are outwardly racist and I'm pretty sure they, they promoted systematic racism because it benefited them. Absolutely. And they didn't give a shit. I'm trying not to get angry. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to get angry because I don't, I don't make sense when I get angry. So I'm trying to stay calm. If anyone wants to know what my response was to that death threat. Oh, yeah. I said, I responded, cool story, anonymous racist D-bag. 
<laughs> and as I said later in the thread, there's, you know, when people respond, you can tell immediately, is this somebody who's worth the time to even attempt to educate? Or is this somebody who is just an anonymous racist bag and fuck it? Like, it's not, right. it's not worth taking the time to write out a good response. <laughs> Yeah. It's not worth it at that point because he's not going to retain it. It's not no. going to go to any benefit. I mean, it would benefit someone who's not within the argument because sometimes you see things and you might be on one side and you see see the light and you're like, oh, well, maybe I, I see where Liz is coming from. Right. This guy is not going to be that person. He's going to delve deeper into whatever he started with. I mean, I listen to a lot of debates uh, on different topics and something that people often say outside of the debate circle when they're asked, like, why do you even do it? Because it's not like you're going to change the opinion of the person you're debating. They're like, I'm not really doing this to try and change that person's opinion. I'm doing it because there's undecided people in the audience. And somewhere, somebody's going to be more educated because of what I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, But if, if you're in a position where you're willing to debate somebody who has the opposite opinion, no. Like, you're not going to change that other person right. on that stage. And on a much smaller sense, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. When I'm responding to those specific people, very rarely do you ever come across somebody who is like, oh, yes, you have changed my mind. And I've seen people do that, but it's usually months later. They're like, you know what? That one thing that you said to me six months ago, I looked into it more and you were right. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and it's good to see that. Not that you were right, but that someone is actually... <laughs> that someone will like, actually... Yes, I was. <laughs> someone, that actually, someone would actually consider another point of view. Right, and that's something that I've seen a lot, especially when it comes to a white person's response to learning about race issues. Um, and it's what I did. Like, my first response when I started reading about uh, systemic racism and learned about power structures is like most white women, I was able to immediately identify it when I learned about gender issues. Sorry, my cat just lost my chapstick under our couch. Oh no. This little fucker. (laughs) God damn it. This is why I can't get them to the end because they're round and she thinks it's a toy. (laughs) It's not yours, Mittens. Mine. Or is it it those Eosis? Yeah, they're not cheap either. No, they're not. They're like five bucks each. She's looking for it. No, you lost it. You lost it. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry. So so systemic inequalities. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So like most white women, when it came to discussing gender inequality, I could immediately identify it. I was like, yes, I've dealt with this in my personal life. I've dealt with this in school. I've dealt with this at work. You know, uh, male privilege, that's a thing. I see it. Uh, but then when faced with the idea of white privilege, I was like, well, hold on there, buddy. Like, you don't know. I've struggled. <laughs> yeah. And so I, of course, did that at first, as most people do. And I had advantages in this discussion um, because I grew up in a place where being white was made me a statistical minority. And I joke all the time I was the token white friend in different friend groups. <laughs> And if you look at pictures from high school, it's absolutely true. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I had a lot of friends, including you, who would tell me when I was wrong, which was very important. And that gave me a huge advantage. And I still, you know, because we grew, because we grow up in a society of white supremacy, I still had bought into that. And there were still huge parts of my brain that were like, no, but you don't understand. Like, I haven't gotten anywhere because I'm white. Thankfully, I uh, learned that how wrong I was. <laughs> and well, I mean, it's not, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with this because my husband's white and he has the same mentality where he's like, being white didn't get me anywhere. You know, it didn't, it didn't help me get a job. It didn't help me move further in my career. It didn't help me get through school. I'm just, it didn't help me at all. I'm still in the same position. I it didn't have any benefit to me. And he doesn't realize that the, the, the subtle advantages that he has, yeah. the fact that he can walk, if he walked into an, the interviews that I have as a white male, as a tall white male, you know, yeah. he would get the job more, he would more than likely get the job more than I would because he would sound more confident in what he's saying. They would believe him because he's a white dude. <laughs> you know, when I'm talking about IT, I have to really prove myself. Absolutely. You know, I have to go above and beyond to prove myself. I think, I don't think that he would have to do that. But again, 
I don't know. I'm on the. I mean, there's there's enough studies and real life, you know, experiences that have proven over and over when it comes to even just getting the interview. Having yeah. a white sounding name gives yeah. you a huge advantage. People are called in for the interview much more often if they have a white sounding name. So, I mean, it's it. That's part of what being in a privileged group means. It's that it's invisible to you. Yeah, you're unaware of the privilege. And it's, it's hard. The, the reason I bring him up is because it's hard to point it out to him because he doesn't, he doesn't see it. And I think that, and I told Liz this earlier, sometimes you just have to let it play out or let someone else show him or let life teach it to him. I don't know if life is going to teach it to him because he's not going to not be a white male. But <laughs> I, I think that over time, just being your husband, and I'm, I know that he has seen things more after he started dating you. Yeah, and, and vice versa. You know, yeah. some things that I would just say, oh, white people just don't know, or, you know, I can't stand them when they do this thing. It's like, oh, that could have been just a family thing, or just that family, just that person. Yeah. When there's things that I've become more um, sensitive to because I'm married to someone that's outside of my race. You know, their family has a different dynamic. The way they do things have a different dy- dynamic. I got, I have more insight on how to handle my money because I married into a white family. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's so true. You know, it's not like, because with most, most, especially poor black families, you don't know how to manage your money because you barely have any right. of it. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a lot different and you don't have that resource of family. That's, that's something that's such a huge point. For black people or for poor black people, you don't have a, let me call my uncle because I need a loan for my, to get my car fixed. You don't right. have an aunt to say, hey, let me get a loan because I need to get an, uh, get shoes or I don't know. You don't have that. So you right. go to get personal loans or payday loans or whatever. With a, with a white family that's established, you can say, hey, I can get this from my parents and then pay them back. That was completely foreign to me. Some people hearing this might jump in and say, oh, well, that's a class thing, but not a race thing. But what's important and what makes it a race thing is understanding the history of money in the U.S. And not like white families in middle and upper class are much more likely to have had that fan or to have had that money passed down from parent to child, from parent to child, parent to child. It's a generational thing. You have generational money. Donald Trump being like, oh, I just had a small loan of a million dollars from my dad, yeah, which is a little extreme, but it's, you know, an example of how that works. Uh, And white people in the past and continuing into the present have, because they have the power to do the hiring and they have the power to say who gets a loan and who doesn't, we have kept money from people of color what's that Kanye line (laughs) he's like like white people got money don't spend it (laughs) yeah white money like get yeah what is that something like that um oh what never mind I forget it's from click yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know white people get money don't spend it which is true yeah because we know where to put the money to keep it I say we like I was a part of that my my grandma uh, was very good with money, but she came from a very poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just very lucky that she had money. I'm one of the only uh, families I know that was like lower. I mean, <laughs> it's very complicated because we grew up very lower middle class. Um, like we, you know, lost our house and had no money and we're on government assistance, but we were still like way better off than a lot of people I went to school with. Yeah. Uh, so I'm one of the only people that I know from like our class who had an actual trust fund yeah. and that let me go to college and it let me, you know, have money when I went to college. And so I moved to the Valley and it was like, oh, that's what everybody does. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody has. <laughs> that's such a strange thing because I, I felt the same way when I started working in Orange County and talking to some of my coworkers. Like, they don't have student loans. Yeah. It's like, how do you, did you just pay them off? Oh, I didn't need one. What? 
Yeah. Oh, oh, my parents pay for school. What? Did your parents not pay? For, no, my parents didn't pay for school. That's why I don't have a bachelor's right now. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I didn't have any parents to pay for my school. What are you talking about? They're talking to me like I'm the crazy one. It's like you understand that there are people that are outside of this class circle. Yeah. And you know what? And I, I should clarify. I should, and I should make my stance clear. I do think that class is a big issue. And I think that that money is a big issue. But to know that in the 60s and 50s, my great-grandparents and my grandparents didn't have the opportunity to build on an empire. They didn't have the opportunity to build that money or save it because they didn't have the opportunities to. It kind of, it it feeds into that. Now, I do have white friends that don't have a lot of money, but they do have resources. They have grandparents or great-grandparents that can help out. I didn't didn't have that either. And also being, coming from Belize, this isn't where my family's from. Right. (laughs) This is not where we, where we built, where we started building anything. So, yeah, being from an immigrant family doesn't help with uh, building wealth. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing about like my experience being a white person and moving to an area with a lot of white people and a lot of wealth is that it's very easy for me to fit in just based on skin color. You know, I can walk into an area and it's already assumed that I have the same background. Um, But that's something that I didn't see extend to other people of color mm-hmm. who were in a similar position that, you know, they could also be, you know, transplants from a different area and they come to this new school and they're kind of treated like, Oh, where are you from? Yeah. Well, like I'm from Colorado, <laughs> 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 but for me it was, you know, people are very surprised when I'm like, Oh no, I'm not from around here. They're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, but we thought you were one of us. <laughs> one of us. Well, no, it's not quite like that. Oh, but that's okay. <laughs> <I'm> sure, because <laughs> but that it helps in the hiring process because when I go to get jobs in the valley or in the LA or surrounding area, it's very easy for me to fit in and just be like a valley girl, and I can do the voice and I can fit in very easily. And <laughs> doing that code switch really helps. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very much harder for me to assimilate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I do take advantage of uh, my white privilege. Yeah, and the, and also it's not feeling. I don't. I don't want anyone to feel guilty. Like, oh, I got a job. Is it because I'm white? I'm. T- I'm a terrible person. No, it's just. It's a part of the system, and it's a part of history, and, it's, and that's that's just the way it worked. And I, I don't know. I'm still on the fence on how to feel about it because, again, it's like I. I like the fact that my husband has opportunities, but I don't like the fact that he might have more opportunities than say my brother if he was in the same position. I don't, I don't know, Liz. I don't know how passionate to feel about it. I think the good thing about your husband is that he would help. And that's, the, yeah, you're absolutely right. He would. He's one of the good ones. And I don't want to paint him in the bad light on the podcast. <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing right now. No. No, he's, he, he's amazing. And he, he loves my family. And he's very understanding of, of where I sit as a black woman and where my brother sits as a black man. And he understands that people, that you need help. And he's, he, he's upset that, he, he understands that he would have a higher rate of getting hired than my brother. And it doesn't make him happy. He doesn't feel ecstatic about it. He doesn't feel guilty. He just feels angry because it's not like he's doing the one, he's the one doing the hiring. Right, he's, he, not, he's not the one in power. Right, he's upset that he has no control over the situation. Right. You know. On white guilt, here's uh, one of the comments that I put in that thread, oh. speaking directly to it. <laughs> uh, people accused me of just being, you know, mired in white guilt. And I said at those two people, said, I don't feel guilty for being white. How would that help anybody? There's a difference between feeling guilty and being cognizant of the reality of racial discrimination and how I benefit from what white people before me and now have done to keep their power structures in place. Yeah. And I feel like guilt is such a useless emotion in this scenario. And to be honest, of course, I did feel guilty at first when I was first... um, educating myself. Uh, Jane Elliott, in one of her specials, likens, she likens the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment to people going through the stages of grief and says, dealing with systems of power, if you lose power, it's like you're going through grief. And so people immediately 
are angry and they get depressed and they bargain, <laughs> yeah. but you, but eventually, you know, there's acceptance. And so you know, that was definitely my experience, um, in doing this. And I think, I think it's, in, I think it's incredibly important. And something else that I said later in the thread, uh, I wish that I had the original comment, but she deleted it. But a woman was like, but imagine if you, imagine there's two little girls in that, um, in that assembly, mm-hmm. and one's a white girl and one's a black girl, and they were best friends when they walked into the room, but then they can never be best friends anymore because the black girl now looks at her white friend and is like, she has a better life than me, and the white girl is now like, I have a better life than her, and I feel bad. Yeah. I was like, I was in that position. <laughs> you know, I'm a white girl, and most of my friends are people of color, and my husband is Mexican. It's like, and I didn't come away being like, Oh, I'm so much, I have so much better. I have so much more than they have. And so I feel really horrible for it and I can never be friends with them. And they don't come at me being like, we're so angry with you because of this. Mm-hmm. It's more like, I just need, if I really love these people and I do, I need to understand how our experiences are different. Yeah. And that's the big thing. It's understanding not necessarily fighting me on what I'm saying, but having some kind of understanding. I think a big problem that I had with talking about race issues with people that with people who weren't people of color was that they would say, well, was that really racist? They wouldn't understand systematic or subtle racism, and it was so hard to explain. And I think Donald Glover would, had a line in his, in his <laughs> yeah. song about it. It's like, you, wouldn't know, you don't know until you experience it. And you don't have to experience it because you're white. You right. don't have to experience that kind of subtle racism where people say, oh, you only wash your hair like once a week? That's really gross. I don't like your hair. Like, come on, man. You know? Like, or I don't know. I don't know how else to, to pinpoint it. But it's, it's, it's really hard to explain, but it's, it's even more hard to deal with. It's, it's, it's harder to deal with when you can't explain it to your friends who aren't people of color. I can talk to my, my friends who are people of color about it because they get it. And we right. can exchange, exchange stories and, and relate and commiserate. I can't do that with someone who doesn't really understand it or even accept it. Yeah. I mean, what I, what I often say to my fellow white people when encountering this, obviously you're going to feel very uncomfortable when you're in the beginning stages of learning. You're going to feel really upset. And I'm like, and when people are called racists, they respond like you've just tried to stab them. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing you could do to somebody. Well, it's not really a nice thing to call anyone, no. especially when they're not racist. Right. <laughs> it's like fair. nobody nobody <laughs> likes hearing that, but I tell them I was like, your discomfort right now, like how uncomfortable you are, is one drop or like one molecule in one raindrop in a whole bucket of fuck. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that whole bucket of fuck is something that a person of color could go through every single day, because you know it affects. I mean, obviously, not everybody has the same experiences, and um, people of color will experience systemic discrimination in different ways, depending on, you know, your gender, mm-hmm. your socioeconomic class, if you're disabled, your sexuality, etc. You know, intersectionality is very important. Yeah, <laughs> like, but you know, some people have to carry around a whole lot more. And so whatever discomfort I can feel, I have to put that in the perspective of it's uncomfortable for me because I can ignore it if I want to. I can ignore issues of race and go on and it wouldn't change my life. My life would be exactly the same (laughs) if I ignored it and decided to just be like, nah, I don't believe you. Like, but not everybody can do that. And so that's why I get into Facebook fights. It's not because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and I see that. And it's, it's mostly to educate. And sometimes I feel like the people that you're trying to educate aren't going to retain it. And I think you know that. But oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you already spoke on that earlier. <laughs> but I do. I, I love it because it's, it's, it has high visibility. You don't know who in that thread took that and said, you know what? You, I, I love her opinion and I think she's right. And it's going to change my perspective on how I treat people. Not just people of color, but people in general. You know, you don't, and, and I know I'm more of a, I don't want to say, I'm more in the middle because I feel like everybody has a fucking struggle. Everybody has shit they have to deal oh, yeah, with. Yeah, absolutely. But 
I, I do have to take on the fact that I'm dealing, I, I do have to deal with more, you know, I, I do. When I walk into a grocery store, and part of it's experience and part of it's just general fear, when I walk into a grocery store out in the OC, and I'm the only black person in the whole fucking Trader Joe's, yeah. I have a feeling that people are thinking like, why is she here? You know, and is I don't get to steal things. Yeah. Or that's happened before where I go into a, a, not a restaurant, a, um, a retail store and I get followed around. And it's like you can ask me, you can at least play like you're asking me what you want me to like, like if I need help. Right. You know, but no, they're just following me around because I think I'm going to fucking take something. And that's that's one thing that irritates me when people say I don't see color. You don't see color because you don't have to. Right. I see it when people follow me around. I see it when people yell at me. I see it when I look in the mirror. I see color. I have to. I don't have that, let's say, privilege of ignoring it. And, you know, I was taught that colorblind ideology. That's what my parents taught me. Um, You know, understanding my parents come from the South, and so they dealt with really overt racism, like, within their families, of seeing their own families say some truly horrendous things. And, of course, seeing other people (laughs) say it, like, everybody in their surroundings. And so they made the conscious decision, like, no, we don't want them to grow up with that racism. We would rather them grow up in Southern California where there's you know, a whole lot of diversity. Um, And so it was the 90s, and what's the opposite of overt racism? (laughs) In their mind, it was like, no, you don't need to see color. Like, everybody's beautiful. Everybody's wonderful. Hashtag all lives matter. (laughs) Before that was a thing. (laughs) And, And, you know, I recently had this discussion. My brother and I were talking with my mom where my mom was like, you know, but was that a wrong thing to do? And I'm like, no, I don't think it was. I don't think it was wrong, but I don't think it was 100% right. But that's just because. That's just because she didn't. She didn't know any different, and I will absolutely take that kind of upbringing over, <laughs> the overtly racist one. Yeah. Like, and I think it's great that now my my brother and I are both. Um, we're both very socially conscious. And my mom enjoys that. My mom likes that we can tell her things now <laughs> and mm-hmm. say like, no, mom, you know, this is, this is a little bit better to do now because, and I think that she's, she's generally extremely receptive to it. Mm-hmm. I was very hashtag blessed. <laughs> I grew up with. This podcast is slowly turning into Twitter to Liz. It's just like <laughs> Which is funny. I don't even use Twitter that often. <laughs> I know, because when I look on Twitter, I don't see much from Liz. No. Again, I lurk on Twitter like I lurk on Tumblr. I don't tweet shit. Like, I used to, like, three years ago when we first started the podcast, I would tweet more often. Yeah. And now I was like, nobody's fucking following me. Who am I talking to? Exactly. Nobody. I had had one guy on Twitter recently um, try to engage with me in a discussion about race. It was... And all I had done was like a photo. It was when the Academy tweeted out the message from the president of the Academy saying, hey, you know, we're going to try to be more diverse. (laughs) And all I did was like that photo and somebody was going through everybody who liked it and sending them the exact same message. (laughs) What message was that? Uh, Oh my gosh, I would uh, talk about something while I find it because it was really funny. It was about McDonald's and black people. Oh my God, Liz. No, you don't have to find it. We can talk about it at some other point. We can bring it up as a funny story on, a ne- another, po- on another podcast, not this one. All right. Yeah, you don't have to search for it. And plus, we have to talk about... Nope, there it is. Oh. <laughs> That's how little I use Twitter. <laughs> when you walk into McDonald's and there are too many African-Americans there, do you tell some of them to get out for diversity? What the fuck? And I responded, any room is fine as long as you're not in it. <laughs> Liz with the clap back. <laughs> Damn, Daniel. Out of the gun with the clap back. <laughs> oh, that child. Oh. All right, so we've talked for a long time. Was there anything else we were supposed to? Oh, I mean, yeah, we wanted to talk about the KKK rally that we had here in Anaheim. Yeah. yeah. We, have we have about 10 minutes. So we can go 10 over minutes it. for the KKK. Yeah. Just as long as they deserve. Yeah. Well, they deserve less. They deserve way less. So we had a KKK rally out here in Anaheim. And um, at first, when I heard about it, my husband told me. And I didn't believe him. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> he thought it was a joke. And then we saw the, the videos and the, the photos the next day of what happened, or the same day of yeah. what happened. And it turned into 
this, uh, this violent affair. And the first thing I noticed was that there were no cops until cops were called. Exactly. I thought that was interesting because when you see any kind of Black Lives Matter movement, there's riot gear or some yep. kind of cops there. And at this KKK rally, they were just like, nothing's going to happen, right? We just won't show up. And of course, there were angry people there. You know, there were people that were like Mexican metalheads and black people and people that were upset and wanted to fight these guys. And there was no, there was no mediator. That should have been the cops at that point where they thought, well, this is someone that's, this is a violent group. Maybe we should show up. Right. You know, but peaceful protests, that's something that we'll definitely show up to, right? I just, that's something that I wanted to touch on because I saw more of a police presence on black protests and I see more of a police presence um, at, at, on peaceful, pro- peaceful protests for people of color than I did at this KKK rally. And it, there was bloodshed. You know, and that's not that's not a joke. That's the people were stabbed. Yeah. You know, this, like one of the KKK members stabbed someone with a flagpole. Like, this isn't a game. You know, these people are angry and they're violent and it shouldn't have been taken lightly. It shouldn't have happened at all. You know, I just I feel like this is a time and a place where you shouldn't have your KKK rally that publicly. You want to meet in secret and talk. This is like I try to think it of, think about it like people who like dungeon porn. You know, <laughs> you don't have a rally for it. No, you go, you go in secret. You go have secret groups for that shit. Right. You know, you want to go jerk off to racist shit. Don't have it in the middle of a park where I live. Right. Two steps away. Like, I can't imagine if we had kids. Well, what would you tell? How would I explain that? How would I explain that? That's half of them. You know, they're, they're, they'd be half white. How would I explain that? You know, I just, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's, and it's angering. You know, I. It was in your backyard. And it was right, yeah. it was right here. Yeah. It was right here. Yeah. Uh, that's, I just wanted to bring that up just in case people thought it was a fake. It's not fake. It, that was a real KKK rally here, you know, and it was interrupted in violence and it's sad and it shouldn't, I can't say it shouldn't happen anymore because everyone should have an open forum to speak about their opinion, but I feel like there should be a balance. If there's gonna be an open forum for Black Lives Matter, I don't think we should face riot gear every time we have something to fucking say. Absolutely, because it's a peaceful movement. Black Lives Matter has always been a peaceful movement. Yep, but the thing is, it's always... (sighs) Whereas the KKK has always been violent. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Violent and murderous. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet the police were like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. And I can't, I don't want to say that police in Anaheim were biased because they were white. I think they were just indifferent because they probably thought it was a joke. They probably didn't think anyone's going to show up. And that's, that's what I'm kind of banking on. I don't want to think bad about people I don't know. I don't know how the cops are out here. I, I hope that's true. I hope it's, it's likely true, too. True. You know, where they're like, this is a KKK rally. What the fuck is really going to happen? Right. Nothing. No one's going to show up. It's going to be a bunch of old white dudes being angry, and then they're going to go home. Because, because that's what we all assumed when right. we saw it. You know, we're like, no one's going to fucking be at this thing. When, I didn't think when they'd you go think, protest. When you think about the KKK, I still think about, like, who's, who's left? Like, 95-year-olds right. who are just really, really upset that we have a black president? The problem is the KKK isn't the face of racism anymore. Right. You know, they don't, they've evolved past that. They don't really need to be that that violent or have the KKK because it's, that's, that's old time. Now you have Donald Trump. Yes. Now you have someone to, to stand behind that's, that's on screen and that's saying the things that you want to say all the time. It, they, don't, they don't need the KKK anymore. I don't, I don't think it's um, a surprise or a mistake that there have been so many white supremacist groups that have come out in support of Donald Trump. Yeah. I, I think he's within the same mindset. We have about five minutes Okay. So we're going to have to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> but I think they're all within the same, the same hate mindset. Right. It doesn't matter who you're hating. As long as you're hating the same group, then you're fine. And right now, Donald Trump, Donald Trump hates Mexicans for the most part. He thinks, what, they're racist? Yeah. Oh, rapists? Yeah. So make America white again. Make America great again. <laughs> Subtle. Right. Subtle. Right. All right, guys. <laughs> Enough with the heavy discussion. I know you guys probably muscled through this. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> but this is what we do. We hash these things out, and then, then there was something. We talk about this a lot. We do. Our, yeah. And this is, and that's the point of this podcast is to bring some of our personal conversations to the public, to the public forum, and you guys can talk about it. If you feel that I was fucking wrong, or if I was flip floppy, as they say on Mob Wives, you know, <laughs> or a fucking jerk off. Then, <laughs> Let us know. Just 
point out all the was this Tumblr. And then <laughs> <laughs> come hate on me. <laughs> I deal with it a lot. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll create my own Tumblr to get death threats of my own. <laughs> I don't want you to get death threats. I, come I, for me. Come for me. <laughs> don't come for me until I send for you. <laughs> That's a... Uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta. I, you know beautiful. what? I need to start watching some different. I'm watching fucking GOP debates and Mob Wives. It's all, it's all the same. It's the same. It's the same <laughs> shit. I gotta get some better content going on. <laughs> I gotta watch some Vice tonight. Depress yeah. myself. <laughs> I'll watch Gossip Girl. Oh, I can't do. I can't do Gossip Girl. I I love TV shows about privileged white people because <laughs> their drama is so funny. It is funny. That's why The Real Housewives is, is still funny. It's because you're like, look at this drama. My, I saw this amazing, hilarious clip from Keeping Up With The Kardashians where it was Kim talking to... What's her other sister? I don't know That's which not one. Really, well, anyway, just talking, talking to the one who has the bebis. Ah. And, uh, and it was like really dramatic music. She was like, I don't know, I just... You know, I just, I, I've been disagreeing with Scott, and I just, it's very important that, like, and then it's, like, dramatic bass drop. She's like, I just don't want him in my Kim Kardashian game. I just, what would he do? He would just be, like, partying. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just this amazing, like, 30-second clip, and I was like, this is, this is gold. This is television gold, wow. honestly. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we watch it, because their problems are so much smaller than ours, but they make it seem so much bigger. So much bigger. Yeah. All right. On that note, <laughs> we're going to go ahead. I play the Kim Kardashian game. Though. I, I have the cheat, though. I got the hack. Ugh, I can't play it. I can't. I can't give her my money. I, I, I didn't. Refuse. That's why I got the hack. Oh. You know, the, okay. and then the, the, her younger, younger sisters, the Jenner girls. Yeah. They put out an app as well. And I got the hack for that, too, because oh. I'm not going to give her money. I'm not even but I will, I will pretend to be um, a socialite. <laughs> on my iPad. I will not. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to stop talking for real. See you guys next Yay, time. Yay, bye. bye. <laughs>